Good morning, my beloved Orangewood family. I hope you are all well. I hope you're enjoying. Uh, they say that this is the most wonderful time of the year, right? Anybody a little bit busy? Anybody uh, a little bit already thinking, oh my goodness, I'm running in a thousand different directions. In the Jake's household, we had a window of opportunity this past Monday. I'm typically off on Monday to go get our Christmas tree. And so it's like, okay, we got an hour. We're going to go get it. Let's go. Let's make sure we get the right one and come home. I ran and got the tree, got the tree, threw it on the side of my house. By the end of the night, put it in a bucket of water. This was Monday. It wasn't until yesterday the thing actually made it inside of our house. And so brought it in, didn't have time to do anything. So here in the Jake's household, we have in our family room a Christmas tree still in that orange, like, uh, twiny stuff. Just all like this. Maybe it's easier to hang ornaments on there. You think, think of how easy it's going to be to take that thing out of here, right? Um, but I hope in the midst of the busyness, you don't miss the reality and the beauty. And here it is. God loves you enough that he desires to dwell with you. He wants a relationship with you, not, not just like a, a distant relationship, not just like, hey, we can text or occasionally call. But there is a God who is, and this, this God is a mighty God. He's holy God, and yet he's merciful God, and he longs to be with his people. He longs to, to dwell with his people. And we're looking at that right reality this Advent season. We're in a series called, Do You Hear What I Hear? And what we're doing is this, we're looking at the minor prophets. And, and by the way, the minor prophets in the Bible, it doesn't mean that they have a minor message to give. It doesn't mean that what they say is anything less than anybody else. They're called minor prophets, well, because they don't write as much as the larger prophets. But we're looking at the lens of the minor prophets and to show us the hope that we have, that they had, that God would come, that God would provide, that God would provide a way for us to dwell with him, that God himself would show up so that we can know that he loves us and he's for us and he's with us. It is one bite for man, one giant leap for hashtag NASA veggie in our hashtag journey to Mars, period. Hashtag years in space. Did you get that tweet this week? It came out this week. It was a tweet. You ready for this? It was a tweet that came from outer space. How does that happen? And it came from Scott Kelly, one of the astronauts. And that made world news. It made news around the world that there was one bite for man and one giant leap for NASA veggie. Because Kelly and two other astronauts, a Japanese astronaut, an American astronaut, ate a vegetable that they had grown themselves. So what they grew in space, they were able to actually eat, a significant event. Does it remind you of any recent movies that you might have seen? How about the movie Martian uh, with Matt Damon? Uh, Matt Damon's character uh, was left behind on a, a mission to Mars. They thought he was dead. They had to get out of there in a hurry. And as they left him behind, there's this stark reality that, oh my goodness, you are on a place that, that is really foreign to life and you're in trouble. You're by yourself. So what does he do? In a very ingenious way, which I will not describe, you'll have to watch the movie, he is able to grow potato plants. And as that potato plant emerges, as that, as that first leaf comes up out of the soil, if you will, um, he realizes hope. 
hope in sustaining life because of that potato plant. Well, I was going over the sermon uh, with uh, some of my teammates at Orangewood, and we're talking about how uh, incredible God is to provide for us hope in the midst of, of really a dry ground and barrenness, and talked about this. They said, well, how about the movie Wally? Has anybody seen the movie Wally? All right, some of you are excited. Yeah, yeah, I, I've seen it. Uh, it is an animated movie. I hadn't seen it, so what I do this weekend, very romantic. Katie, we're watching Wally. All right. So we uh, Friday Friday night um, sat down and watched this really pretty entertaining movie. It's about a robot, uh, and he alone was on planet Earth. Planet Earth had become so polluted, uh, so so unsustainable uh, to life that all that remains is this robot called Wally that was trying to clean up the mess. And of all the things he found, he found a plant. And he plowed a plant, and this plant changed everything. Because out of the pollution and everything that was deserted about earth, this plant proclaimed the reality that, that life is now sustainable on earth. That humans should come back, forget the spaceship they lived in, to come back to earth and, and come back to where you belong, come back and find life. Believe it or not, Christmas is a declaration to us that, that God has found right conditions for man and God to dwell together on earth. Isn't that incredible? In this sin-polluted soil that we walk on, that we call earth, God sends his son, and he, he sends his son like a, a, like a flowering plant. If you watch that movie Wally, uh, or you saw the movie Martian, or you heard about that astronaut, Scott Kelly, eating that plant. There was so much hope in that. And this is what God says, out of the midst of the dryness, the dryness of your life and the dryness of the world, out of the midst of the brokenness, out of the midst of the darkness, out of everything that is wrong and everything that you have no power to fix on your own, God is going to send forth a plant. He's going to send forth a seed. He's going to send forth what the Bible calls a branch. And this branch is going to bear fruit and give life, life and create an environment where God and man can dwell together. Well, I think, again, what made world news with Scott Kelly is that life in the midst of a hostile environment is hard. It's hard. It's hard to sustain life in a hostile environment. Let's let's talk about you personally. Isn't it hard to sustain life and life abundantly in a hostile environment of our own hearts? I mean, look at the, the hostility of our own, our own country. And isn't it hard to have life sustaining there? How does hope grow? Some of the questions we probably want to ask is, what soil is necessary for hope to grow? What hope is necessary? What soil is necessary? How can that grow in our own lives? What elements are necessary for peace to flourish? Don't you long for it? Aren't you just overhearing again of a, another mass shooting or another uh, uh, loss of life, tragic loss of life? What elements are necessary for peace to really prevail? And what conditions are necessary for life to flourish? I mean, Jesus came, he says, I've come to give you life. You ready for this? Life abundantly. So, so what conditions are necessary for that abundant life to happen? Well, do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? It's the hope of Christmas. Again, through this, this lens of the minor prophets, they didn't have what we have. 
Jesus hadn't come. They were hoping for an arrival for one to come. They were hoping that that God would come through on a promise because this is the God who created us in his image and placed us in harmony with him. God has always promised to dwell with his people. God has always promised that that he would be with us. And and through the promises of God that begin with a seed way back in Genesis 3, it emerges into a branch. We're going to see in the text that God is going to call this one his servant, this branch. And out of this servant, out of this branch, out of this dry ground will come up one that will cause life to flourish, even among the pollution of our own lives and world. So let's look to the prophet Zechariah. We're going to turn to Zechariah chapter 2. And I'm going to read God's word beginning in verse 10 of chapter 2 through chapter 3, verse 10. Let's be mindful that it's, this is, this is God's word. Whether we're hearing from a minor prophet, a major prophet, we're hearing from a poet or, or someone who gives us history, a gospel, a letter, all of it is one story of God. And God took the talent and the abilities of each writer and he breathed his very being on it. So that something very special happened with our word, the word of God. It became his word. And here's the point. It's God's word not just to entertain you, but to transform you. Let me give you a quick background to Zechariah. Zechariah lived in a time of exile. He lived in a really dark time. It's a time probably a lot worse than this. I wouldn't say much dissimilar to this. But there are a lot of bad things going on around him. They were far from the promised land. They were far from home. And it looked like that relationship with God had forever been ruined. They'd been disqualified. And yet in the midst of that, God promises an incredible promise. He wants to promise the same thing to you. I want to dwell with you. I want to be with you. And because of that, we should sing. Let's pick up the story in Zechariah chapter 2, verse, starting verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And here's this hope that they're longing for. God says that he will come, he will dwell with them. And not just that, but in many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and they shall be my people. God's making a promise not just to to dwell in the midst of the nation of Israel, but that every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be God's people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Chapter 3, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Here's, here's a picture we see of heaven. We see Joshua, high priest, uh, before God. And you also see the angel of the Lord throughout Scripture. That's typically the pre-incarnate before he was born Jesus. This is God himself. Um, and then you see Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him like a lawyer, saying, you're guilty, you're dirty. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. I love that. He doesn't rebuke the high priest. He rebukes Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. 
And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, Behold, I have taken away from you your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. I love the picture of Satan at one time standing. And now, in beauty, clothed, you see the angel of the Lord standing by him. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you, will, you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest. You and your friends who sit before you, for they, they are men who are assigned. Behold, you got to hear this, write this down. I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on that, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes or with all eyes upon him, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Let us pray. Lord, what an incredible, vivid picture of who we are apart from you. Clothed in filth, with an enemy who wants to say guilty. And God, how gracious are you to provide for us. And God, you know the truth about me. God, you know that on my own, there's not a righteousness that I could produce. That all that I have on my own is like filthy rags in your sight. So God, would you come? And would you clothe not just me and cleanse not just me, but this congregation? so that we could hear from you. God, would you give us ears to understand and hear your voice? Would you give us minds to, to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth? And God, would you be with us so, so tangibly here by the power of your spirit and the preaching of your word that, that you would cause our feet, our very feet, to walk in a manner worthy of your great name. And God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that point to that promised servant that would come, that, that promised branch that would come and provide safety for us to be able to dwell with you. Would you use those words to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. It's a little bit more wordy than I try to do. And if the, the outline becomes cumbersome and you're trying to for, figure out what to fill in, throw it away and forget about it. But just listen. Lean in. Because God has for us this morning an incredible feast in his word. Let me encourage you to just draw near and let God speak to you. Did you hear the promise that Zechariah 
gave, actually that God gave through Zechariah to, uh, uh, to the people of God. He promised that he himself will dwell in their midst. But Houston, we have a problem. If, if the people of the day of Zechariah heard this, they're like, well, wait a minute. God makes a promise, and he promises to come and hang with us. He promises to come and dwell with us, but, but we're in exile. We're a people in exile. We're, we're a people in Babylon. If you're familiar with the Bible, God's people being in ba- Babylon is not a good thing. It means this. It means that God's people had sinned so badly that they had embraced other gods so deeply that they had forgotten God so incredibly that God basically banished them, exiled them, excommunicated them, evicted them out of the promised land. God is a holy God. And God has to deal with sin. And so what he had done with his people, he's like, he gave them warning and warning and reminder, reminder, but they messed up so bad that they were kicked out. And now he says, I'm going to come dwell with you. And you're like, wait a minute, come dwell with us. We're not even home. I mean, we're far from, from the land of promise. But there was more problems. The temple was destroyed. And the temple was this unique place, this unique place in all the earth where God decided that he would uniquely dwell. That he uniquely would put his name there. That he uniquely would meet with, with his people and there would be a sacrifice so that they could dwell there. And they always knew, God's people knew, if we're home in the promised land and we got that temple here, God is dwelling with us. But it's destroyed. And so they're saying, okay, God promises to dwell with us, but we're not home. And God promises to dwell with us, but the temple's in ruins. And there's another problem. The high priests and the people, well, they were defiled. God is holy and, and pure, and, and, and they, like us, are, are dirty and defiled. God is so high and exalted and lifted up, and the people were so low and, and quite frankly, afflicted by God. So they had a problem. God promised so much, I want to dwell with you, but how could he do that? Because the circumstances were so bad. Don't you ever wonder about that with your own life? God promises to dwell with you, but don't you want to say, but how can that happen then? so dirty. I'm so far from home. I'm so broken. I want to ask you to, I want you to picture something with me here. It's a little bit crazy, but just humor me for a moment. If Jesus was unexpectedly to come to your house, your apartment, your place after the service today, if he, he came like he did with Zacchaeus and say, hey, I'm going to come to your place today. I want to come and have lunch with you. What would you immediately think of? If Jesus right now came alongside and says, I'm going to come and have lunch with you, what would you think of? I wonder if he'd be like me. I'm not ready for Jesus to come to my house. I just told you, my tree's not even open. You know, guys, we got stuff all over the place. I'm not ready. Because why? Because truthfully, I'm not sure it's clean enough for Jesus. I mean, Jesus could come and, man, I'm not ready. Wouldn't you also probably think, I'm not worthy. I mean, look at all these people. I mean, go to someone else's house. Who am I that you would want to dwell and have lunch with me? Go somewhere else. I'm just not worthy. And then let's say that he just insisted. Let me ask you, what would you wear? Would you run home and change? Would you say, like, I got to look for my robe and sandals so I can look like him? Um, Would you look like, I really got to find my Sunday best? Or would you just, like, be like you are and come casual? You see, those are some of the questions that 
I'm sure that they were saying God would dwell with us, that we're like, really? We're, we're, we're not ready. You're, you're not ready. We're not worthy. And we've got some issues here. In the midst of all this darkness, listen, in the midst of all this darkness, in the midst of all the sadness that Zechariah and the world experiences, God makes a really unusual promise. Did you hear it? Did you hear what Zechariah said? It's, it's, it's quite frankly a bit odd. He says in the midst of this that there's a servant coming. My servant will come and he will be a branch. This branch is going to come. And, and maybe for some of you who, who know the story of the Bible, the storyline, you might think, well, I know there's a promised seed and there's this promised branch that, that will come, this vine, this root, and it's going to come up out of nothing. It's going to come up out of, out of dry ground. When everything looks bleak, when they feel like there's nothing that could ever grow here, nothing that could ever grow here. In the midst of that, God says, I'm going to send a branch that will come. And this branch will do everything that is necessary to allow God and his people to dwell together. You got to hear this. The branch that will come will do everything that's necessary for God and man to dwell together in safety. So let me talk about that outline real quick. I kind of want to go through that. We're going to look at how this branch does it in the next few moments. We're going to look to God's word because we're going to see that this branch emerges not just in Zechariah, but it, it makes its way through scripture and it points to Jesus. So if you want to fill in the outline, it says, God's promised branch that bears fruit. It'll provide us a shelter in the storm. It'll provide us peace that passes understanding. It'll provide us a righteousness from God. It'll provide us sacrifice for sins. And it'll provide us a new set of clothes. But as you look at these texts that are associated with them, each one will tell us about a problem. There's a problem associated with God dwelling with us. And each one will talk about a provision of how God deals with that problem and a promise of what he will do. Let's start in uh, Isaiah 4. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 4. Uh, if not, the, the words should appear on the screen behind me. And the first problem they had is, we're dirty. We're sinful. We're, 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 we're broken. We're, we're, we're dirty people. God has promised to come dwell us. But man, we're not clean. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 4 beginning in verse two. In that day, the branch of the Lord, here we have it, here's this branch of the Lord, shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughter of Zion and cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create, her, create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over, for over all the glory, there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and shelter from the storm and rain. Here's what this is saying. God's saying, listen, I'm going to provide a branch. And this branch is going to do something absolutely amazing. It's going to take those who are dirty and it's going to make them clean. I'm going to wash away uh, your filth. I'm going to remove from you all that separates you and me uh, being together. 
God himself and says, I'm going to call you. I'm going to do this branch is going to do such amazing work that that I'm going to call you holy. I'm going to call you set apart as if you were without sin. And so God says this branch is going to come and do some miraculous work. I mean, how in the world do you take those like us who are filthy and make us completely clean? But he says, once you're clean, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dwell with you. Did you hear the language of it? It's very much the language of the Old Testament. I'm going to be like a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I will always be with you. I'm going to, my glory is going to be like a canopy. I'm, I'm going to make you clean, God says. I'm going, to, I'm going to send this branch that's going to make you clean and holy in my sight so I could dwell with you in day and in night and you will see my glory. I'm going to be with you and here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a shelter in the storm. A shelter in the storm, whatever storm of life you face, whatever you're going through, I'm going to be basically shade for you in the heat of the day. I'm going to be a safe place at night. I'm going to be a shelter in the storm of life. This branch promises that God will dwell with us and provide for us. We don't have to run from him. We run to him. And we run to him, and guess what we find? Shelter. We find a place of rest. Incredible what this this branch is supposed to be able to do. And then we look further to Isaiah. Isaiah 11 picks up the theme of this. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. Not only were the people dirty, but the reality is, is that we're guilty. And look at what God does for those who are not just dirty, but those who are guilty. Isaiah 11. There shall come, from a shoot, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its root shall bear fruit. Now, it can sound really confusing. What in the world is going on here? It's basically saying that there's something coming in the line of Jesse. And this is an ancestry line. And in the line of Jesse is, ready for this, King David and a Messiah. And in this line, there's going to be a shoot that's going to come up, a little stump. Everything looks dead, but God is doing something. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. This is the spirit of counsel and might. This this one who has come, he's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be a mighty God. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. This is going to be a judge, a righteous judge. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be his belt of his waist and faithfulness shall be the belt of his loins. And look what happens. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, here's that connection again, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. 
all right, here's the problem. The people are not just dirty, they're guilty. And God is promising this branch is going to come like some empowered, wonderful counselor judge. And that as he judges his people, he'll do so in a way, you ready for this? That he'll declare them not guilty so that God could dwell with his people. Because holy God can't dwell with people who are guilty of sin. So how does that happen? I'm going to get to that. Let me tell you, the problem was their guilt. The provision was a righteous judge who will provide, who will become their judgment. But what does he promise them? He promises them peace that passes understanding. Did you read that? You're going to have, you're going to have this kingdom, and when it comes in its fullness, a wolf and a, and a lamb are going to lie down together. I mean, you're going to have, it's going to be safe for your children to play over snakes. I mean, it's going to be, what's basically saying this is those things that are naturally in enmity with each other, those things that are naturally at war with one another, those things that are naturally enemies, God's going to come, this branch is going to come, and he's going to do some incredible miracle that we can find peace, peace that passes understanding, a kingdom of shalom, a kingdom of shalom that will come for the entire world. It's basically saying this. When the kingdom comes in its fullness, this kingdom priorities like this. Gators and Seminoles hang out together. You know, war eagles and roll tide, they, they hang out together. You know, bulldogs and yellow jackets, they hang out together. Democrats and Republicans, I mean, I mean, those from the north and south, we're united. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. Here's the promise of God. There's going to be this seed that emerges into a branch. And this branch is going to bring a kingdom and this kingdom is going to have a, a righteous judge who's going to have the audacity to look at us and call us not guilty. Not guilty so we could dwell in a kingdom like that. Man, what kind of stump of Jesse and Branch is this? Let's look to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23.5 tells us more about this incredible branch that God has promised in 25, uh, 23, I should say, verses 5 and 6, it says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David, a righteous branch. Hit pause. David, son of Jesse, they're connected. Cool. Here again is this righteous branch. And shall he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. You see, the problem with understanding God, you say you're going to dwell with us, well, they were dirty. God says, I'm going to deal with your dirt. I'm going to clean you. They were guilty. He says, I'm going to deal with your guilt. You're going to be declared not guilty in my sight. But even though they're cleansed, and even though their guilt has been removed, they're still naked. They still before God had no righteousness of their own. So here's what God promises. God says, in this branch, you're going to find a righteousness from God himself. I'm going to robe you. I'm going to clothe you with my beauty. Why? So you could dwell securely. Why? So that nothing, nothing in your life, nothing in your past, nothing in your future, nothing in your depravity will ever separate you from the love of Christ. And the reality is this, is I'm going to come as a righteous king and I'm going to deliver you my own righteousness, the very righteousness of God. I love 1 John 2. He tells us that Jesus is the righteous. I'm going to give you that righteousness. Why? 
Because I want you to know on your worst day, I dwell with you. I want you to know on that weakest moment, I'll never leave you. A God who will clothe us and make us beautiful in his sight. You see, through this it says that we're cleansed, we're cleared, and we're clothed. And you may want to say, okay, how can a branch do this? What kind of branch is this? And we find the answer in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, I'm reading for 13 through uh, chapter uh, 53. And I want you to do this. Picture in your mind, who do you think that this is pointing to? Now, let me remind you that this was written 700 years before Jesus arrived. Who could this point to? Hear God's word in Isaiah, verse 13 in chapter 52. Behold my servant, here's that servant, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And yet, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred behind, beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouth because of him. For that which he has not been told to them, um, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before them like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and equated with grief and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before the shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who consider that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of people. And they made his grave with the wicked, And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressions, transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Who do you think that's pointing to? 
Is that not Jesus? Did you hear what it says about it, this servant? It says this servant, he's high and he's exalted. I mean, he's high and mighty. He's God Almighty. But what happens to him? He becomes low and rejected. The one who's high and mighty is pierced for our transgressions. He's, he's crushed for our iniquities. He brought us peace by his wounds. Jesus. God eternal. Jesus God Almighty is born in a dirty manger. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths. The one who is high and exalted came down low. Jesus became our judgment to give us a peace that passes understanding. Jesus, the righteous one, would would bear our filth on the cross. He'd wear it. Like a robe, he'd bear our sin so that we could wear the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Is there room in your heart for Jesus to dwell there? Because everything that God has required for God to dwell with you, he has provided for you. Jesus, the true vine of God, who has come to come and give us life and life abundantly. Scott Kelly ate vegetables, and these vegetables were a sign of hope. We have a tangible sign of hope. The conditions are right for us to find peace with God and hope and life everlasting through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. I ask you a question as we began. If Jesus invited you, if Jesus invited himself to your house, For lunch, what would your response be? Jesus invites you today. He invites you to a meal with him. And we do not have the ability to say if we're in Christ Jesus, well, we're just not ready because we're not clean. He's cleansed us. We're not worthy. He makes us worthy. And he said, come, come and let me dwell even in your heart. How is it with you? Is God dwelling in your life by his grace and the work of his son? Oh, the grace of God, that he would take the high and exalted one to become so low so that we can have fellowship and life with him. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for the promise you made to Zechariah. It sounded crazy at the time that you promised you wanted to dwell with them. <laughs> They're in exile. There's no temple. And everybody's defiled, including the high priest. And yet you said that you would provide everything you require for us to dwell with you. And you said your servant would come, this branch that would bear fruit, and that through this servant and through this branch that we would be cleansed and we would be made holy. Through this servant, through this branch that that we who are guilty because of the the work of Christ on the cross, we are forever called not, declared not guilty. And we who have nothing to offer to robe ourselves but filthy rags, you robe us in the very righteousness of God. You took the one who was high and exalted and brought him to the depths of despair and brokenness so that we could go from the depths of despair and brokenness 
and be lifted up and be high and exalted in Christ Jesus. Thank you for that promised branch. Thank you that that is Jesus, the word in flesh, the true vine of God. And come and feed your people again through this meal, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.